0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, we just ask that you would give us uh, a, a good time studying your word, that you would bring to remembrance things that we do know and have studied, and encourage us in your word. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and allow us to be your servants in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated bibles if you would and let's turn to exodus chapter 12 we're in a series on remembering things and of course uh the best way to remember things is to write them down which i didn't do with the announcements this evening uh and uh so uh let's uh uh, as we look at the word of god and uh just some different things as we go through the Bible that God has set up to remind uh, us of some things. And uh, we start in Exodus chapter 12. If you're familiar with your Bibles, this is the Passover. Even to this day, the Passover is the most sacred of all the Jewish uh, uh, uh special holy days, and uh, uh, even the the, uh, Jewish people who have a very low regard for the Word of God, don't pay much of attention to the laws, and uh, they're not what we call practicing Jewish people, they will still do something at Passover, if they're Jewish at all, if they would be recognized as such. And... uh, As we look through here in chapter 12, uh, uh, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, They shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And it goes on and it gives the instructions to the children of Israel that on the evening of the fourteenth day, they were to take that lamb and they were to kill it. They were to gather its blood in a basin. They were to paint that blood on the lentils, uh, the lintel. And the post of the door, the lintel runs across the top, and the posts are the upright things, upright sides of the door. And it says that the Lord was going to send his angel through the land of Egypt. The Lord himself would come through, and all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt would be killed that night from the children in the house and palace of Pharaoh, to the children of the lowest slave, to the animals in the barn. Every firstborn in the land would die that night. This was the last of the plagues. And and uh, uh, God said, I want you to celebrate this today and forever. And we look here in verse 14. And it says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it by, a, by an ordinance forever. Skip down to verse 17. And it says, And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in the self day, same day. Have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt? Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. And let's skip down to verse 24. It says, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Now, if God says something once, shouldn't that be good enough? If he says it three times in the same chapter, uh, can we not understand that God was trying to emphasize something here? Uh, everybody's together on that, right? And, and you, if you're here in our Sunday school time, this is one of the reasons why we do the Through the Bible time on Sunday mornings is so so that you can know the stories. And tonight, actually, uh, I would like to, in the next... Uh, 40 or so minutes go through uh, two rather large and complex stories. The story of Passover and then uh, one more out of the book of Joshua trying to help us understand that God establishes certain things for us because He wants us to remember some things. You see, if the blood was on the doors... That angel that brought death to every house in the land of Egypt passed over that house. And there was no death in that house. That is why the feast is called the feast of Passover. Because as the judgment of God fell upon Egypt, then Where the blood was painted over the door. The angel passed over. God's judgment passed over that house. Now, I hate to do this, but I just got to. It just aggravates the fire out of me. How many of you have seen the old 1957 movie, The Ten Commandments? Oh, The only thing they got right in that movie was when they did the walls of water for the Red Sea, what they did is they went and they took a movie of a waterfall. This was before CG and computer-generated images and all the... And so their only special effect was they ran the movie backwards. And so it looked like the water was going up. I mean, that was a pretty... Somebody was thinking... Uh, And and they followed the Bible there. The only problem is you don't kill Yul Brynner. Uh, You just don't do that. That's part of movie making history. But in the Bible, Pharaoh died with the armies in the Red Sea. Uh, And the one that just bothers me more than anything is that there was some interest, love interest there with Joshua And he goes and he paints the blood on the door where his lady love lives because she would be killed because she was a firstborn. And none of that's true at all. God did not kill the firstborn women. He was killing the firstborn men. He was destroying the heritage and the lineage of the Egyptians. From the king to the animals in the stall. And if someone put the blood on your door for you, that doesn't count. You had to do it yourself. How many of you see the pictures in the illustration and the... You know what God is doing here? Through this terrible judgment... He is showing us His work in our salvation. Can we say amen to that? This was to be reminded. The Jewish people were to remember this. Look, look with me in chapter 13 and verse 3. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord, for by the strength of hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. We come down to verse 8 and it says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done. Because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year year now there's one word that I hope you've also picked up on it is the word ordinance three times in chapter 12 when God said I want you to remember this forever he said you're going to celebrate this day you're going to keep this day by ordinance now if you look up the word ordinance, one of the first definitions you will see is military ammunition, specifically designed for a certain firearm. That's what's called ordnance. Uh, if you put the wrong ammunition in the wrong gun, chances are in modern time it won't fit. But should you happen to find one of your great-granddad's Damascus steel shotguns. How many know what that is? It's a twisted steel. It's not molded and and machined like modern. And you put in a modern shotgun shell, and if you survive pulling the trigger, you will consider yourself very lucky. Uh, But it will destroy the gun. It will look like a spring that was let loose because it will unwind the steel. It was never made to take modern pressures. Ordinance is very important. And in the Bible, the context is a set pattern, a ordered way of doing things. Baptism is an ordinance. Uh, I forgot to ask you to pray, but we have a young man that said he's going to be baptized Sunday morning. And I want you to pray uh, that that he will follow through with that and become a member of the church. And that would be uh, a great blessing. We, we need to pray that we see that happen every week. Amen. But um, the uh, whole idea here with the Passover is it is an ordinance. It is to be celebrated after the passage it was to show salvation it was some it was a method of teaching the generations to come you see they were in bondage to pharaoh how many of you remember how cruel that bondage was where they even uh, demanded the death of every male child and and they made the bondage bitter and there was no escape you see the The problem is the children of Israel could not set themselves free. I mean, how many movies do they make where this person is taken captive and and they work and they do this and they do that and somehow they set themselves free? And everybody goes, yay, oh, that was so good. If you're really taken captive, it doesn't work that way, now does it? You need somebody to set you free. The children of Israel were enslaved. They could not set themselves free. Now, let's just backtrack a little bit. The picture is, Egypt is always a picture of the world. When we were living in the world, we were in bondage to sin. Guess what? We could not set ourselves free. No one can save themselves. Passover is a living illustration that salvation cannot be by the works of the person saved. A person needing to be saved has to have a Savior. And by the way, was Moses the Savior of the children of Israel? Absolutely not. He was the messenger of the Savior. Isn't that the way salvation works? Every once in a while, I'll have someone come and uh, I remember a lady many years ago, she said, Pastor, I want you to save my son. And I go, whoa, wait a minute, I don't do that. I can't save it. Oh, but you know what I mean. He wants to get saved and I want you to tell him how. I said, oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure we've had all kinds of uh, 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 strange things go on here and and we want to do it the right way. Amen? Uh, You see, this is how salvation works. People are involved. Do you see how detailed God's picture is here? You see, I I want you to grab a hold of something. We meet in a former synagogue. If the Jewish people had understood just a little more about their own Passover celebration, do you think they might have recognized Jesus a little more readily? Hello? Hello? You see, God gives us some things to remind us. By the way, the only way they escaped the death of God's judgment that came upon all the land of Egypt that night was how? The blood of the innocent lamb painted over the door. And the only way you escape God's judgment of eternal damnation in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever is the blood of Jesus painted over the door of your heart. Amen? And God further illustrated it. Every household had to have their own lamb, picturing every person needs to have their own salvation. Amen? Not a bone was to be broken of the Passover sacrifice of that lamb. There was not a bone broken when Jesus was crucified. That lamb was not to be boiled with water, but roast in fire. And God used the fire of the sun to literally torture the Lord Jesus Christ as He hung on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth. I mean, I could spend the whole night right here on the Passover and all of the connections between what happened and what was celebrated in the Passover celebration and how we were saved. But I want you to read some of the most tragic verses to me in the Bible. We'll just read the account out of Second Chronicles chapter 35. Second Chronicles chapter 35. This is King Josiah, the last true king of... Israel, and uh, we're going to come down here to verse 18, and it says, And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites, and all Judah and Israel that were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. Now, isn't that a tragedy? He reigned 31 years, 18 years into his reign. That means there was 13 years left before Pharaoh Neco killed Josiah in a battle that Josiah wasn't supposed to fight in. And then began the degeneration, and it wasn't until then... less than 50 years before the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple that the children of Israel celebrated the Passover like they should have. Isn't that an indictment? Isn't that a tragedy? And see, uh, every so often I'll have someone call us up and they'll Oh, oh uh, I'm a Jewish evangelism and I'm evangelist, and I want to teach your people the Seder. And and, and I want to and I'm try I, I I try to be as kind as I can. We we do not want the modern traditions of the Jewish people. Yes, they still echo what Jesus did on the cross. What we want is the Bible traditions. The original traditions. And and you can go through these modern traditions and find out, but I want you to understand something. This was part of the reason the children of Israel went seeking after other gods because they refused to keep Passover in the way that God had intended them. It said this is to be... Uh, upon thine hand and a frontlet between thine eyes. If you've ever seen the um, Hasidic Jews and, and even the ultra-Orthodox, they still have the phylacteries, the little boxes of leather with scripture inside. Now, wrap those on their hands and wrap them around their head. You see, they're taking that literally. But... Well, God God never meant for you to write Scripture out and put them on your hands. Uh, I don't know how many mezuzahs we took down. Uh, there was one on every door in this building when we moved in. Because it said you're supposed to write the words of God on the doorpost of your house. And and they actually have a tradition of, of kissing their hand and touching the mezuzah. Uh, it's a whole lot... Better than kissing the mezuzah, I guess, uh, that would be kind of gross. But, uh, and they had little bits of, I remember saying, what in the world is this? And I finally took one off, and it fell open, and there was a little piece of paper, and it went, thawing, oh yeah, here we go. This is, where are we supposed to write the scriptures? In our hearts, aren't we? So that when we open our eyes, we see the world through the story of the Passover. So that when we lift our hand to work, we can be reminded of the freedom that God gives us through the Passover from the bondage and slavery of sin. Hello? So that when we enter the doors of our own homes, we can be thankful that God has given us something that is actually ours. Even though the IRS will take it away from you if you don't pay your taxes. I mean, just even though all those things are true, we can be thankful to God for the freedom that he has given. Amen. The Passover is a picture of all of these things. And... One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons the children of Israel left the truth of God and sought to false gods and false ideas and developed their own traditions is because they stopped reviewing the story that was recorded in this book called the Bible. You see, you cannot help but see Jesus Christ in the Passover. Amen? And by the way, what happened the next day? Baptism! The Red Sea passing through the water. Oh, man! You see, you ought to get baptized after you get saved. It's all right there in the Old Testament. And we're reminded of this in the New Testament. Now, does that mean that we should celebrate the Passover according to the Jewish traditions? Absolutely not. You cannot celebrate the Passover according to the Jewish traditions because there's no altar dedicated to God to offer the lamb for the dinner on. And without that, You cannot celebrate the Passover according to the biblical pattern. But just like Sabbath is a daily celebration for the New Testament Christian, is not Passover a daily celebration for those that are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Hello? It is. And would that not fulfill the biblical requirement of, having the Scripture on your hand and in between your eyes and everywhere you go, that every day is the Passover for the believer. In fact, uh, there's some real confusion because in the first centuries, they called Jesus our Passover. And, And when they celebrated the Lord's Supper... Many of the early disciples and early churches used the same word for Passover, talking about the Lord's Supper, because it was a remembrance of the finished work of Christ. And that's where we get some of the problems with the translation in Acts chapter 12 and verse 4, when Peter was put in prison and he was going to be kept unto Easter, even though then were the days of unleavened bread passover had ever already passed and the word in the greek text is the word for passover our translators got it right but every modern commentary gets it wrong and the reason they do is because they don't understand the passover was the first Of the days of the unleavened bread. Then there were seven days of unleavened bread. Passover had already happened. What was Herod waiting for? He was waiting for the celebration of Jesus' resurrection because he had had a little part in Jesus' death and Jesus didn't stay dead. I mean, that thing was still unsettled. He wasn't going to do it again with Peter, his number one guy. I mean, that just didn't make sense to Herod. It's the kind of... Isn't that such a simple understanding of the passage? You see, understanding the Passover will influence your every moment and every word understanding of the Word of God. It's a remembrance. It's something that God has given us. And we do not go back to the Old Testament and become Jews? We cannot. There's no temple. And by the way, it wouldn't do any good because Jesus has finished the sacrifice. Amen? But we need to live in remembrance that God's judgment has passed over me because Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Amen? That's number one. Uh, number two, we're going to try to make it short. Okay? Go with me to Joshua chapter 4. And again, I could, we could, I could spend a week on this. I don't want to. But let's just read verses 1 through 7. Joshua chapter 4. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the... "...lodging place where ye shall lodge this night." Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up, every man of you, a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel." that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel for ever. Now, The Lord said, I want you to take 12 stones. Now, when we think of building a monument, we think of big stones. But you can't lift a stone that big. It said 12 stones that these men could carry on their shoulders. Now, Joshua, I I am thinking, was not picking uh, young teenage boys or... Or uh, uh, older, infirm men, he was picking the biggest, strongest guy he could find. And I'll tell you, a stone that big that you could put on your shoulder, I mean, that's a lot of weight. Uh, In fact, we had some of those over at Union that weren't much bigger than this right here, but we couldn't get them out of the ground. We had to drill holes and bust them up first so that we could dig them out of the ground. And here... Joshua sent these men. They were to pile these 12 stones. Of course, being that these 12 stones had been in the middle of the river for who knows how long, they would have a very different appearance from all the other stones. Because the weathering process in the river would be much different than the weathering process just out in the elements. And there was not to be any cement or any kind of... Platform made, these twelve stones were to be set there. And it was to be a memorial forever. It was to be a teaching place. It was to be a place that fathers were to bring their sons and say, Now listen here, son, you've heard about the Passover. We celebrate this every year. According to the directions that God gave us in the land of Egypt while we were still slaves. Now I want you to see what God did in delivering us and bringing us into the land of Canaan. And how many of you know what happened to these twelve stones? Everybody forgot them. In fact, we get down to chapter twenty-two, and, and you can read that. Uh, uh, well, let's let's just go there, chapter twenty-two of the book of Joshua. Now, this is somewhere between five and ten years later. The children of Israel are released. The armies of the two and a half tribes are sent back. And what do they do? They build a great altar at the crossing of the Jordan. On the west side of the Jordan River. And it was a big enough altar. It said it was great to see to. It was big enough that they could see this thing from the other side of the river. And when they were called into question, the armies of Israel assembled. Phinehas, the priest, led them. They were going to go to war with them. And they said, why have you built an altar? And their answer was, we didn't build an altar for sacrifice. We know we're supposed to sacrifice on the brazen altar that is before the tabernacle that at this point was set up in Shiloh. And uh, that's what we're supposed to do. But just in case your children try to tell our children that we're not part of Israel, we set this altar up to take care of that. Now, let me ask you a question. Had God already dealt with that? Yeah, he did. How many stones were in the first pile of stones that Joshua had set up years before? Twelve. So, all they had to do was say, get out your fingers and your toes. How many tribes of Israel are on the west side of the Jordan River? Ten and a half. How many are on the east side of the Jordan River? Two and a half. And we add that up and what do we get? Thirteen. Why? Because the Levites have no inheritance. Hello? So, we have 12 tribes of Israel that have inheritance in the land, and it's provable. You know what the saddest part of this whole story was? Phineas, the priest, and the leaders, they were so happy that they, did not, they were not dealing with false worship that they didn't object to a second standard being established, which wasn't God's direction. You see, if you want to know where things have gone wrong in churches today, all we've got to do is study the book of Joshua. God set up a standard. All we have to do is follow it. But what are people doing all the time? They're trying to set up their own standards. They're trying to set up their own conditions. Uh, I remember years ago when I was just preparing for the ministry, and I've referred to it often through the years because it's so outrageous. This group of quote-unquote preachers all got together and they voted on the sayings in the New Testament that were attributed to Jesus. And of course, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, almost every preacher in their little group voted that Jesus would have never talked like that. He was love and he was so caring and and, and he would never be so judgmental and harsh as, excuse me? We're talking about the same God that reigns fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. We're talking about the same God that destroyed the land of Egypt in the Passover night. We don't change the words of God to make them more acceptable to our generation. We ask God to change us according to His words. Can we say amen to that? You see, God's given us some things to remember. The questions that we ask, God has already answered. The questions that the two and a half tribes of Israel ask and and the solution that they finally came to, let's just, I hope you're there in Joshua 22. And uh, let me uh, skip down to verse uh, 34. It says, "In the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed. Three. For it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. Excuse me. Hadn't God already established that he was God? And how would these two and a half tribes establish the fact that the Lord God of Israel was their God? By crossing over the Jordan River and sacrificing at the brazen altar in front of the tabernacle and following the exact same laws that God had set up. See, all of these problems were solved. And yet we have people. Well, the problem is we just have a self-esteem deficit today. People don't think of themselves very highly, and so we've we've got to take out that harsh judgment out of the Bible and and, and just help them realize their inner champion and and that you, you know that's where Mr. Olsteen and and his ilk uh, before him it was uh, Norman Vincent Peale and positive thinking and. Uh, before him, it was the smile. God loves you, crowd. And and uh, listen, God has set up His standards. As we talk about being reminded, Peter said, "I want to stir you up by way of remembrance." What was He wanting us to remember? The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say amen to that. But let's turn to Second Peter chapter one. And we're just going to tie this in, I hope, and, and be finished tonight. On time, by the way. Second Peter one. Verses that you should know well. Verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said we didn't make this up. We saw the things that we have reported. It was John, the beloved disciple, who said, whom our hands have handled. And we heard him preach. John said, listen, we actually touched a person called Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, and God the Son, who literally died on a cross and rose again. And we saw his resurrected body as he walked through the door and talked to us and proved to us that he was alive. I've often used this illustration from mathematics. When when you fulfill a proof in geometry, trigonometry, advanced mathematics, they are not so much interested. A good teacher is not interested in the answer. He's interested in how you arrive at the answer. Because advanced mathematics is not about simple computation. It is about the thought process involved to logically take the missing pieces and assemble them from what I have. That's why they give you one angle and maybe two sides. And if you're old enough to remember this, Before the age of calculators, you used to have to look up the sine and the cosine and the tangent in the chart uh, in the back of the book. Does anybody else remember having to do that? And uh, I guess I'm the only one. Well, anyway, uh, uh, you had to look those things up. Today, you just press a button on the calculator and right there it is. But... You cannot get a wrong answer when you do the proof. You can't do it. If you got a wrong answer in the proof, then you did it all wrong. Because the proof is what proves the answer is correct. You do the problem forwards and backwards. Do you know God's Word works that way? We can start at the beginning of the Bible, and we get into the second book of the Bible, and guess what we run into? The Passover. Hello? We get into the beginning of our New Testament, and what do we run into? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we go through the the Bible... And it explains all of those things, and we can trust God's Word. In fact, Peter tells us here in verse 19, he says, We have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, We have a more sure written Old Testament that guarantees and proves everything in the New Testament. And how many times have we gone over this ground? If your understanding of any verse in the Bible contradicts the simple wording of another verse, you got the wrong understanding. It is one Bible all the way through. And it helps us understand who God is and what He has done. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, God's just given us a very few things. He's given us a Bible. Amen? And why do you think the scholars attack the Bible? Why do they stand up there and protest the preservation of God's Word to such a degree? Because it is always in man's best interest to set up a new standard rather than pay attention to God's. Hey, Bible church really what else has God given us we, we need to hold these things and we need to go back to these things and we need to be reminded of what's in these things not because you don't know them One of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper on such an irregular schedule is because in too many churches it's just another ritual that everybody goes through. If we're going to follow what's in the Bible, we cannot allow that to happen in our church. Can we say amen to that? When somebody gets baptized, that's a big deal. We need to Pray for this young man that he's able to make it back Sunday morning and follow through with this. We, we, you need to hold him up in prayer because I'll tell you, the devil's going to do everything in his power. If he can't stop you from getting saved, he's going to stop you from serving. And that's where baptism is, the beginning of your service to the Lord. You see, we need to remember, not because we're going to forget, not because we don't already know. We, we need to remember these things because it's in that constant reminding of ourselves is the only true motivation for staying adhered to God's Word and doing things God's way. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask that You would help us to remember Your Word. The things that are in it. And Lord, how wonderful it is. We can start at the beginning and head toward the end. We can start at the end and head toward the beginning. And yet we'll always arrive at the very same conclusion because of the truthfulness and the purpose and the direction that your word gives. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us to allow our memories to be motivated by your word, to remember the things that... We already know and are very familiar with that they would not, we would not lose the awe of how great God was in the Passover. That we would never lose the wonder of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we would never compromise the sacredness of this body called the church that we assembled together with. That it would never be a duty to us. But Lord, one of the least things we can do to remember who you are and how good you've been to us. Lord, encourage us by reminding us of who you are in your word. Before we finish that prayer, maybe you'd have a few of your own to pray.